Welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we work to recover the dignity and mission of vocation. Learn more at metronmanager.com. Faith in $5. $5, six countries, four months, and a one-way ticket to southern Russia. This is a book about faith, obedience, and miracles by Jonathan Nowlin. I hope you enjoy this reading of Faith in $5. Chapter 6. Into Action. Now that we had spent over a month learning the Russian language, networking with local churches, and finding agreement with our vision for the discipleship camp, we faced the next phase of our assignment. We had to research and locate a suitable facility that would be able to host our program later in the summer. You must understand the nature of such an undertaking in post-Soviet Russia. The country and many of its facilities were in shambles. Everything was falling to ruin. Having emerged from a failed system, not only was the country physically falling apart, but also the condition of the population was dismal as well. Not a day went by in which God did not allow our hearts to be broken for the countless situations of hopelessness and loss that the people were experiencing. Nothing can prepare you for immersion in a culture that has had the very life and soul ripped out by oppression and sin. To give you an example of the spiritual destitution of many of the young people in those days, if you told someone, in all sincerity, that God loved them, they would respond with, What is a God? Not which God, or who is God, or I don't believe in God, etc. They actually had no idea what a God was. As I shared about the Lord, I often found myself beginning with explanations about the very idea of a God. It was heartbreaking. Nevertheless, to see the spark of salvation lead to flame of fire that restored their souls was worth every bit of hardship one faced in the process. Our quest for a camp location took us to the far southern city of Tawapse, in the coast of the Black Sea. This coastal city was accessible by bus from Krasnodar, but still very isolated, and very few foreigners were entering the region during that time. This excursion started out with a bang, quite literally. On arrival, we stayed in an apartment with another missionary. The apartment was tiny, and I found myself sleeping out on an enclosed balcony that hung three stories above the street below. That first morning, I was jolted awake by a massive explosion in the street below. Someone had thrown a hand grenade at a passing car, and the explosion had literally gone off just below the balcony I was sleeping on. My ears were ringing, and the explosion had severely jarred my body, even through the floor that I was sleeping on. What a way to start the day. I stumbled into the main part of the apartment living room, holding my head and trying to fully wake up. Our host was up, along with Mike and Faith. The missionary we were staying with proceeded to educate us briefly on the social conditions that we were walking into. We learned some startling information. The mafia was largely in control of the city and the region, and nearly everyone was involved in some sort of criminal activity. He proceeded to explain that they had done some polling in the local grade schools in the course of teaching the children. 
These polls asked the basic question, what do you want to do when you grow up? 90% of the boys indicated they wanted to join the mafia, and 70% of the girls indicated that they wanted to become prostitutes. When asked why they had given these answers, that students said, these are the only things you can do to make money. To make matters worse, it was very common for the parents of high school age boys to force them to commit a serious crime in order to have something to hold over the head of their own child. These families would tell their sons, if you try to leave the mafia, we will turn you over to the police along with this evidence of your crimes. The social fabric was coming apart at the seams. We proceeded to make our way from Tuapse out to a small coastal village that we learned had previously operated a Soviet youth camp. Russia, along with other former Soviet republics, were scattered with youth camps. It was, and still is, a cultural expectation for students to go away for weeks or months during the summer to these camps. During Soviet times, the camps served as indoctrination centers, in which students were molded and their characters were solidified, making them good, contributing members of the state. Following the dissolution of the Soviet Union, these camps continued to operate, but became marginally organized recreational experiences for students. Many of the camp facilities had deteriorated greatly with the loss of government funding. They were therefore eager to rent out their facilities for an international youth camp. In this village, we resided with a very amusing Russian family who had become Christians quite recently. They spoke fairly good English and were able to help us negotiate a deal to use this local youth camp for our program. After we had successfully completed negotiations, the father of the house made me a surprising offer. He pointed out across the field behind the apartment complex to a visible military base. Indicating a very large attack helicopter parked on the tarmac, he asked me if I wanted to go for a ride. He was a military pilot, and that was his assigned helicopter. Of course I agreed. Who would turn down an opportunity like that? As I prepared for the ride of my life in this helicopter that was straight out of a Cold War thriller, I found out the bad news. The local Russian military was insolvent and the helicopter, therefore, out of gas. What a letdown. This was the pilot's only free day and the gas truck was late. My consolation prize was an invitation on the following day to see him conduct military training exercises along the coastline. He was flying a large load of young Russian soldiers who were training to parachute out of a helicopter over the ocean with the goal of landing on the beach. Of course, I said yes to this invitation. Mike, Faith, and I found ourselves at the beach watching as this helicopter climbed to a very high altitude. Soldiers began falling out of the open side of the door of the helicopter and pulled their chutes open immediately. Then it all became surreal. The wind began to blow in all different directions, and the parachuting soldiers were blown back over the ocean, away from the beach. These guys were heavily loaded with equipment and weapons and had no plan for landing in the water. Soldiers began landing all around us as tanks and heavy vehicles sped all over the beach conducting maneuvers. All I could think was that I would never have had an opportunity to be in the middle of this in any other country, and I almost got a ride in that chopper. The drama continued as about a dozen of the soldiers landed in the surf and deeper water. What began as an exercise turned into a massive rescue operation to fish out of the water soldiers who were struggling to stay afloat while wearing all of their gear. Miraculously, no one died. This experience again added credence to our regular comment that there was never a dull day in Russia. After that, we headed back to Tuapse for another day before we headed back to Krasnodar. 
I really believe we don't know the half of what God and his guardian angels save us from on a regular basis. Every once in a while, you go through an experience and realize afterwards that only the hand of the Lord could have saved you. A war was on, and we had no idea. In those days in Russia, you had to watch CNN to find out what was happening a few miles away from where you were. There was no local media and no source of news other than either rumors or newspapers that were brought in by people traveling from another country. Therefore, we had no idea what was going on in our own immediate area of Russia much less the rest of the world. We found out the hard way that Russia had just gone to war with Chechnya and that we were mere miles from the front line. We had begun to notice an abnormal number of fighter jets flying in formation toward the south, but didn't think anything of it. As it turns out, they were in full combat mode on their way to support a massive ground war that Russia had engaged with Muslim radicals in Chechnya. Not only did we not know there was a war on, but we decided that on our last day in Tuapse, we were going to visit a local beach to enjoy the sun for a while. We had a great time and had no idea what a dangerous situation lay ahead. Around dusk, we began walking back through the city toward our apartment. All of a sudden, a squad of military police began to walk along the road parallel to us and slowly moved to intercept us. As they began to draw close, Mike and I could see that this was trouble. They walked up beside us and then began to separate us from one another as we continued walking. Mike whispered to me not to let them know that I spoke any Russian, and then we were too far apart to communicate anymore. The commander of the squad walked up beside me and put his arm around my shoulder as we continued walking up the street. He and the other military police were eyeing us and evaluating us as we went forward. This commander began to speak to me in Russian. He said, show me your passports. I didn't have my passport with me because I left it at our apartment, and I absolutely did not want these guys knowing where we were staying, so I pretended not to know what he was asking. He continued and asked, Who are you? What are you doing here? Don't you know you're in a war zone? He was asking these questions in a very intimidating manner, and I was beginning to become unnerved. I could tell these questions were leading up to something, and was beginning to feel that these military police were viewing us as serious violators of some form of martial law that had been established. We continued walking up the street, pretending to not understand the gravity of our situation. The commander made the shape of a pistol with his hand and put his fingers up against my head and said, I could shoot you right now and no one would ask any questions. Now I was concerned. These guys were in full intimidation mode and we had no way of knowing whether they were serious or not. These are the times when you have to fall back on the word of the Lord that he got you into this situation and he is going to get you out. The Lord did intervene to save us again from an impossible situation. As we approached the end of the street, along with our captors, we arrived at a major intersection. Suddenly the commander, who moments earlier had been threatening my life, stopped and said, this is the end of our patrol zone. We stopped too, not knowing what they expected of us. The commander's demeanor suddenly changed and he began laughing out loud and said, Forget all of that. Come with us and let's go get drunk together. Talk about a turn of events. We felt that this was our window of opportunity to just walk away. So we politely turned down the bizarre offer to get drunk with a surly bunch of Russian military police and quickly headed up the steep city streets toward our apartment. We took a few roundabout routes to make sure we were not being followed and gratefully arrived back at our apartment in one piece. The Lord had delivered us once again. 
Later that evening, we told our host about our encounter with the military police, and to our surprise, he wasn't very interested in that situation, but instead wanted to know which beach we had been to. We explained to him the location of the beach we had enjoyed earlier that day. He exhaled deeply and said, You're lucky you left when you did. He went on to explain that this beach was called Sniper Beach. We had no idea of the risks at this beach. However, looking back, we had wondered aloud why almost no one was visiting this beautiful beach. The beach overlooked a large port, with many merchant and military ships moored at the huge docks. Apparently, the beach got its name because after sunset, Russian military snipers positioned on ships across the harbor would shoot at anyone they saw on the beach. Why in the world would somebody do that, I asked, shocked, and suddenly very aware of another near miss the Lord had delivered us from. Our friend told us that there was so much mafia activity and pirating going on in the harbor staged from that beach that the military just assumed that anyone there after sunset was up to no good. The military had a simple solution. Just shoot anything you see on the beach. What a crazy world we live in. After hearing about our second close call that day, we were glad to be moving on from Tuapse in the morning. Psalm 68.20 says, God is to us a God of deliverances, and to God the Lord belong escapes from death. Our God is able to deliver us from the plans of the enemy and from the schemes of evil men. As this scripture tells us many times in our lives, we have come close to death but never realized it because of God's care and deliverance for us. His care and deliverance is part of his character and nature. At times in our lives, we find ourselves in situations which require God to deliver us. In these situations, we are well aware of our weaknesses and need. Understanding the character and the nature of God actually reshapes our thought patterns and in turn shapes our willingness to trust God. When I speak about the need to know God, this is the kind of insight to which I'm referring. We have to develop a deep understanding of who God is, His nature, character, and ways. God has created us in His image and likeness for the purpose of relationship. God created us in such a way that we could know Him and He could know us. God is knowable. He has orchestrated all of creation and the fullness of his written word to reveal himself to us. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. What has been made, all of creation, is pointing out the character and the nature of God. If you know God and are familiar with his ways, you are willing to obey even when you feel that you are stepping out into the unknown. This is where your peace comes from. Peace emanates from a conscious awareness of the character and nature of God who created you and loves you. Peace is not the absence of problems, but the presence of God. Someone might ask, how do you come to know the ways of God? In my life experience, one can only begin to know the ways of God if one is able to observe them. One way that we observe his ways is through study of scripture. In one of my favorite ways to read through the Old Testament, I focus on and observe only the ways in which God relates to the various characters in the text. One can begin to see recurring patterns of preferences, deferences, likes, dislikes, and what moves the heart of God. Once you have established this type of baseline observation through scripture, then you have a grid through which to interpret the spiritual events you face in life. The second way we learn to know the ways of God is through walking closely with Him through the paths of impossibility in life. On these paths, 
God is the only one with the answers and the power to pull us through and prosper us, even in the valley of the shadow of death. The Bible says in Psalm 23, 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. This is a good example of one of the ways of God. He provides you with abundant provision, even as you sit in the presence of the enemy of your soul. One of his ways that we can grow to understand is that he often allows us to find ourselves in a very unsettling proximity to the devil and his evil plans for our lives. But we realize if we know the ways of God that he also chooses this very moment to shower us with abundant provision and affirm our calling in the heavenly realm. Knowing the ways of God enables us to anticipate in faith what he will do, even if we find ourselves facing an insurmountable situation. You can even begin to look forward to difficult situations if you are able to see your circumstances through the lens of his character, nature, and ways. There is a significant difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. We must spend considerable quality time with someone if we want to truly know them. In the same way, we must spend quality time with the Lord on a personal level if we hope to truly know Him. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast, presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com.